0: Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to Episode 3 of Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS. My name's Adam Mullett. I'm the Marketing Manager here. And I'm joined by Executive Director of NGIS, Richard Bentley. Hi, Adam. Good to be back again. And the Commercialization Advisor, at Accelerating Commercialization, Charlie Gunningham.
1: Hi, Adam. How are you? Good to be
0: here. Tell me, Charlie, what, is, what does that title mean? All right. It's a program run by the federal government
1: over in Canberra, and I've got the world's best job. You might think you've got the best job, but I give out free money. So my job is to take innovative projects that are pre-revenue, either a completely new startup or an existing private company, less than 20 million revenue, that's got a brand-new innovative project, find the best projects, taken to Canberra up to a million dollars in matching funds so it's a really good program and it's handed out about 170 million across the country in the last three years is there any money left to give there is it's a 484 million dollar fund so the fund has a while to go yet and in fact in a way I'm working for one of the biggest if not the biggest venture capitalists in the country happens to be owned by federal government
0: so it's all about innovation right and what is innovation everyone talks about it at ngis we like to think that we help our clients innovate yeah and you are because i remember richard way back in 2000 he ringing me up when i
1: was running aussiehome.com and we were trying to do maps on the internet which back then it was dial-up remember that yeah with the little lights on the modems and all that Four hundred board <laughs> <laughs> as you are connecting to the internet and we were, he'd seen our pathetic attempts to try and do maps on the internet and he said have I got a project for you I loved working with it so I'm giving it right back to you but we worked with NGIS for a few years and then when I got to REWA I think you guys do the maps there now as well Correct. which you were just starting to do when I was at REWA So, um, but to answer your question um, innovation is doing something new something novel that's not been done before hopefully it has a purpose you know in my case it's got to have a business purpose there's going to be someone's going to buy it it's not just innovation for innovation's sake but we have two tests that you've really got to knock over even to get out of go with uh, with our um ac grant and one of them is novelty and we always have a discussion when we get together because there's 22 advisors like me in the country what is novelty and we really mean new to the world it's it is a breakthrough it's a scientific Breakthrough, something that's not been done before, not an improvement on a previous product, not the latest version,
0: not something you've seen in New Zealand. You're bringing over here. It is something new. Hold on, but isn't innovation? I mean, in the space program in the 1960s, they were doing all sorts of things. We're taking the same te- technology now in our industry and thinking it's brand new and innovative. Mm-hmm. Is there something to say around it's not new to the world, but but new to me? Right. No. Well, we we take a strict view. So. I look at
1: innovation. It's got to be new to the world, not been done before. So there's lots of people who come to me. They're either too late. They've already commercialized their idea. I can help them, point in the right direction. Or they're too early. They haven't got a minimum viable product or a prototype. They've just got an idea. So I send them off to the R&D tax rebate, right? Or maybe they haven't really got something novel. To be honest, my idea, AussieHome.com that I co-founded, that NGIS worked with, probably wouldn't have got an AC grant. We were taking listings in the paper and putting them online. Now, that was disruptive and we were doing mapping. So you could say, OK, the mapping was innovative, but we'd taken something that had been done in the mining industry and we were putting it now on real estate listings. Now, listeners, I may be wrong, but I think we were the first ever to do map-based real estate site. Um, I challenge anyone to find something prior December '99 that was doing it. It was really, really hard. Um, I remember the Esri software out of a box was twenty five grand before we even got it out of the box. And then it was another fifty grand to get a consultant to get it to work, and then there was another hundred grand, and you know you end up sort of contorting your face at getting it to work. So, but really, there was no scientific breakthrough in what we were doing.
0: I mean, Richard, you were involved in AussieHome com dot back then, helping Charlie innovate. I mean, how did, how do you help people innovate using a map?
2: wow <clears throat> that's a good question um I, I suppose it's trying to get an understanding of uh you know what it is they want to portray on the map the map is sort of like a digital experience of a database mm. so it's it's trying to get those ideas in a pictorial representation so if you can get that then it, the message is easier to get across to the to the end user i was i was watching a thing on vol uh tesla uh, the other night and uh, Marconi used some of Tesla's uh, inventions or patents oh, to right, come the up
1: original Nikolai Tesla not yes. Tesla the company All yes. Right. yes so back yes. in
2: the 1800s exactly right, right, right. and um, it was found later on that uh, Marconi had used Tesla's ideas banged right. them together to make radio um right. and Tesla was then you know uh, granted the the patents and, yep. and you know Marconi was sort of taken over so yeah. You know, the innovation that my cone showed wasn't really innovation, it was more around um, you know, banging together the components. And mm-hmm. this is like uh AussieHome dot com, we had the components there from different industries, like you're saying space industry from the mining sector, who'd been using spatial information for quite yep. a while and geographic information systems. Yeah. In a different sense. So I think I think there's still innovation, yep. you know, in that
0: sense. I, I like to keep up with the startups and fr- coming out of Australia. And it seems like there's so many of them that have some sort of spatial technology or some sort of mm-hmm. location component to them. And what, why is spatial becoming so big?
1: Well, I think it's, you could probably put that down to the smartphone 10 years ago. So we're now running around with these devices, right? And they are literally with us. So knowing where we are, number one, Now having Google Maps, which I think came out of Sydney, didn't yeah, correct. In 2005, yep. something Google, like that.
2: Google, it. Google Maps. It's still
1: actually yeah. being produced in Sydney. Yeah. So um, it's knowing where you are and then getting directions to where you want to be. But then if you think about that, uh, a, a startup that I was looking at recently, Land Guide, now they've already commercialized, but they came to see me, love what they're doing. They're using maps. You know, where are all the land estates? Where are they? Which ones are sold? Which ones are open? They're getting satellite and all these guys to sign up. Pretty much what we were doing 20 years ago, but with land estates. No one's really cracked that yet, so landguide.com.au. Or FeedMe, FeedMe with three E's. FeedMe is a really cool app, which some people have called the Tinder of eating, because wherever you're driving around or walking around, right, it'll actually show you interesting plates and meals that are in restaurants near where you are. And you can literally swipe left, swipe right, I like that, don't like, like that, I like that. And then it learns what you want and starts feeding you interesting information about what you might want to eat. And then suddenly you're now discovering interesting restaurants that you might not otherwise have discovered. But it's based on where you are right now. Where you are right now. And and we saw maps with real estate. Obviously, duh, it's the three L's, right? Location, location, location. The real estate is about where is the property. Um, and you buy into the lifestyle of the uh, suburb that you live in. You look over a park, or you know, a good school, and how far are you from the beach, and is it easy to get the bus, and where are the shops, and all that sort of stuff. So, obviously, for us, mapping was going to have to be the thing. And fortunately, we were so stupid, we didn't realize how hard it was. We just wanted to do it. But when we found out that Perth was a center of mapping expertise, take an isolated mining city like Perth and Vancouver, you get a lot of what you said, GIS technology, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Then you were probably in a global center where we can get this sorted. Right? Interesting. So the mining industry is really helping the startup industry as well.
1: Well, it's an obvious one. I mean, if we're going to be a center of any startup sector, we should be a, 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 a center of mining software. And I know some angel investors, that's all they'll invest in. Because they're going, well, you've got this big industry there, right there. If you're going to make anything, why wouldn't you make mining software? You've got Rio, you've got BHP, you've got Woodside, Oil & Gas. They're right here. They're headquartered here. The decisions are made here, right? A lot of people work in that industry. It's a big industry. Um, The mining industry is not going away. People thought, oh, the mining boom's over. No, the mining construction boom may have slowed. The mining industry is still three times the size it was 10 years ago. It's a massive industry. Most other states and most other countries
0: would give their right arm to have the industry that we have. It's amazing. And the, the opportunity is huge for mining. I mean, as we move into the production phase, like you said, construction's over. So many yeah. new problems to solve, right? Absolutely. And, and so many people in Perth who know about all those and problems. mining by
1: its very nature is quite conservative. And so it needs to innovate. So you've got at the top end, you know, FMG famously having driverless trucks right now in the Pilbara running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Um, but you've got probably 250, 300 mining companies, ASX listed in West Perth, right? All trying to do innovative, difficult stuff. Then you've got these innovators, the startups around at Flux, or they go to Unearthed, which is a accelerator specifically set up for mining software, right? Uh, or go down to Space Cubed, etc., and you'll see a lot of people trying to solve problems for the mining industry and then bidding there, you know. Uh, head against the wall trying to get in and trying
0: to get their solutions sold to the mining industry. It's interesting. You mentioned two groups there, right? You had the miners, which are huge companies, and then you've got yeah. startups. Mm-hmm. I saw yesterday, last night, uh, Sundar Pichai, who's the CEO of Google, right? He unveiled this new thing called Google Duplex. Don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but essentially what it's allowing uh, Google to do is to make... Uh, natural conversation phone calls to real people and the person on the other end of the line doesn't know it's a computer and so it can extract really complex information from that person so that's an example of a huge company right google one of the biggest in the world doing innovation i mean richard you're you're the owner of a company who does innovation. Whose responsibility should it be? Is it the government to create the uh, the environment for innovation? Is it startups that have to do it, or is it large companies?
2: I think it's shared across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, um, with all forms, you you need guys that are pushing the limit out by themselves. You need uh, organisations uh, such as the big mining companies or whoever it might be sponsoring that, or I suppose. Um, asking for the way the product might be developed if it's a product, and then you've got the government that sits right at the very beginning of that process, sort of uh, inspiring people to to go on, and and providing a small safety net, I would assume, yeah. for for those guys, because I mean. The the innovators usually risk everything. I mean, Charlie, you know, when you first started with going back to Aussie Home Days, I know it was really it was really tough, um, and you were doing other things. We were all in. Yeah, you (laughs) you were you were all in. You know, and you were doing uh, supplementing your income. You were going up to Singapore on occasions, and and, and, you know, very tough on your family. So, if the Australian government can get behind, um, you know, the innovative, uh, I suppose, the innovation community, it's it's an awesome thing, and I think the the work that you're doing now and uh, the role that you're playing is super important.
1: They have to because you know forty percent of jobs are gonna be disrupted in the next ten years, a stat I hear a lot. People get very, very worried about what's gonna happen. You know, I've got a teenage daughter and a teenage son going through secondary school and some, you know, they they've been talking to me about what job they might have and I say, well, Unlikely that job will be around in five, ten years. Exactly. And they look at me blankly, but I said, but there will be loads of other jobs created by disruption and innovation. I'm, I'm positive about it. There are lots of opportunities. I think the government's job is surely always, and you don't need an economics degree to suss this out, but it's to solve market failure. So, whether, where there's lack of information, lack of perfect information around, what are the good deals and where the money is because there's lots of money in perth and there's lots of good ideas where there's a lack of that perfect information the government should come in and say look we'll put up half the money if you can find half the money and that's how our project works right pre-revenue we'll put up half up to a million dollars but you've got to find the other half to get yourself to commercialization and then hopefully jobs and growth will be created but The government has to do this. All governments do this. You go up to Singapore, you go over to Queensland, you go over to other countries. They are absolutely piling money in to innovation. It's the future. You have to do it from school level all the way through universities, all the way through startups. And who's looking after the existing companies, right? There's 214,000 companies in Perth. Who's looking after them? The SMEs, most of which don't employ anybody or employ one or two people. How are they going to innovate and who's going to teach them?
0: Digital disruption, it's a cliche, right? You've been around in the industry for a long time now. What's the most influential technological change that you've seen come through industry?
1: Well, I think the one I talk about is the internet and the web itself, right, and its effect on, say, advertising, which is what I saw over 10 years of my journey with Aussie Home. So when I started in 99... Um, real estate agents—they were my clients, right? Real estate agents put their marketing money in a wheelbarrow and they'd wheel it to the West Australian on a Saturday and just here have all my money, and that's where everyone looked. The real estate classified section was 125 pages, as was wow. the car section, as was the job section, right, that's one page. and the travel section. Well, now and I know they'll be offended by me saying this, but it's three or four pages, and they hide it in the cartoons on Friday. I mean, it's just—it's nothing. What happened? It got disrupted that whole real estate advertising and cars and jobs right and travel and everything else got disrupted and went online and they lost that revenue now they didn't lose it on one day you couldn't say it was April the sixth, 2007 they lost it if only they'd been awake it's on that a day. Sad day it was a inexorable shift over ten years. so in year 2000 they were cream of the crop and by 2010 real had that money right. And realestate.com, I remember 2000 when I first met realestate.com and they started putting their feelers here. They were worth maybe 12 billion dollars on the stock market. They're now worth nine billion, right? And that has shifted over that 10 years. Now that happened in cars with carsales.com. That happened with jobs with Seek, right? It's happening in all these industries. So I actually saw it from the inside. Mm. I was a very tiny little walnut being pushed along by the wave of disruption. And what was interesting later is I flipped that around and ended up at Business News where I was the media being disrupted. But the difference there, my four years at Business News, is Business News actually had us worked out a strategy that worked in this new environment. How can you keep relevant? How can you get people to pay for content? Because unless you get them to pay for content, if you just give it away free, no one pays. How are you going to pay for your editorial team, your journalists? And good quality journalism, of course that's what we've seen a lack of a business model because the advertising money has disappeared you get weak media weak journalists and now who's going to hold you know President Trump and everyone else to effect the media's trying one of the positives is New York Times I've just read recently they have now gone over one billion dollars in subscription revenue they put on millions of new subscribers since. The aforementioned president came to town and calls them the failing New York
0: Times. And the more he does that, the more people want to subscribe and protect it. So something for our listeners, everyone out there who's listening to this is thinking, how do I innovate? How do I stay relevant? How do I not be disrupted? How do I become the disruptor? Mm -hmm. If you're in an existing company and you've got an idea... How do you take it from an idea to being either a product or being a new business model? How do you commercialize that in a sense as an entrepreneur or as you know as a company?
1: Um, what I would say my advice would be always concentrate on the problem you're solving. So when I hear a lot of startups and other people pitch to me, so I might meet between two and five entrepreneurs a day, which is great. So I, I love it. The stars in their eyes are exciting. They can't stop talking. But often... They feature Bash Me with their wonderful app they've developed. And I have to sort of stop them and say, what problem are you solving? Preferably a big, hairy, global problem. Because if that can be solved with technology or mapping or whatever, great. But don't just tell me about this wonderful product you've fallen in love with. The worst salesman falls in love with their product. Fall in love with the problems you're solving for your customer. Focus with laser-like precision on that. And they change over time because your customers change, their needs change, other people come into the market. So just keep concentrating on the problems you're solving for the customer because if you do that, you create value. And if you create value, people will pay. And if people
2: will pay, you've probably got a business. I think that too, when you're talking about problems, if you keep it down to one problem to start with, I mean, we saw it when we were building uh, Ingy Systems uh, and a real-time uh, threat analysis tool. It was always about the next feature, the next feature, the next feature. We can sell the product more easily if we have the next feature. I've oh, heard you've, that so many times. You've got to, you've got to sell, and if you mm. keep focused on what the major, you know, the, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal or problem mm. that you've got is, it'll be successful it doesn't need all the ancillary things it's, it's doing its one purpose in life but like, you can
1: get out with a minimum viable product these days
2: right nice. and we didn't have social media in our days we you know the, the software
1: was $25,000 to get out the box well now you can probably put something on google maps and get going with an mvp and a prototype yep. you know with a credit card you can probably launch a, a startup it's quite easy to do a startup what's hard is to get clients on getting them paying onboarding them hopefully SaaS, so software as a service so they're subscribing and you build that up over time and you get enough critical mass hey you're in business that's hard but if you keep focusing on customer problem you're probably going in the right direction
0: i mean richard you you're really good at sales and you've been working with solutions for a long time what you know what do people buy well people
2: buy solutions i mean they want the pain to go away uh that's the that's the main thing you you know you you buy a drink of water because you want your thirst to go away you don't buy it because you want to wash yourself with it. Um, you buy a drill. You're not actually buying a drill. You're buying a bunch of holes that you want to make. Mm-hmm. So it's it's about the it's about. Uh being part of the solution for, you know, like going to Charlie. It was, Mm -hmm. like he was saying, $25,000 to get the software out of the box. We're Ezra bashing here at the moment, but Mm -hmm. we'll we'll carry on. (laughs) But um, that's what it was. That that was an expensive piece of software, and it was a very complex piece of software. So when they got out of the box, they basically follow the bouncing ball and install it, but what next? Mm -hmm. So they didn't understand how to how to introduce all of the uh, locational elements and the attribution and things like that and and then display it. And we were able to do that for them. And we made a
1: fundamental error. We didn't realise what problem we were solving for our customer. Now, our customer were real estate agents. It took us 18 months to realise what the problem was for real estate agents. It wasn't that they need map search, right? It, It wasn't at all. The problem real estate agents have very often is not selling the property, buyers buy properties, it's getting the next day the property to sell. It's listing them, giving them a listing tool so that they get a really good listing, right? They've got to sell themselves to the owner. And then we went, ah, right. Websites, magazines, others later it became apps, then social media. It's whatever edge we can give our clients, real estate agents make them look really good in that listing interview so they get the listing as opposed to the three or four other real estate agents who are being interviewed. It's all about the listing, list and last. Now, it took us a while to figure that one out. We should have figured it out at the beginning because we went on a lot of sidetracks, bashing our head against the poles in the dark, doing stuff that wasn't really focused on the customer problem. So I always use that as an example and I go to startups and others. Don't make the same mistake we did because we almost died a couple of times in that first 18 months until we found out what
2: problem we were solving. I mean, one of the things that you were doing with Aussie Home was um, the the web mapping. But yep. one of the uh, big sales components was the the glossy high end brochure that you produced yeah. towards the uh, I suppose the middle the middle term of the. Uh, the life of the business. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how that... Evolved? Well, that's a
1: listing tool, you see. So we went over to Melbourne, um, Nick, my co-founder and I, and everyone's running around with weekly full-colour gloss magazines. And there wasn't such a thing in the Western suburbs, and we pretty much had all those high-end boutique agents on. So we just came back and pitched the idea, you know. What about, we have all your properties in our system, you wouldn't need to tell us the updates, you've already got it. We've already got, got the agent's phone number and everything else. We know what the price is, where it is, when the home opens open. You just, we'll put it in a magazine for you. What do you reckon? And five of them, five agencies said, yeah, we'll do that. And then Acton came to us once we've been doing this magazine. And when we ended up doing their magazine, so then we won Acton on the back of a magazine. Now, none of that print solution was in our original business plan. That's not what we pitched to the mm. uh, shareholders at all. But... It became a way to solve a problem to help get a listing. You can bet that the agents in that magazine said, list with me and I could put you in this magazine. It's a listing tool. And we could do it because of technology. And then they would hand it out at home opens. And for the first five years of our life, um, we called it The Life Magazine
0: and The Acton Magazine was such an important part of our business. To end the podcast, I just wanted to ask you both, have you seen any startups out of Australia that you think are really promising that are worth checking out? Well,
2: Adam, Entire Traffic uh, built a thing called Road Manager, which is a software-as-a-service uh, way to manage uh, road closures or major events. So it puts together an atlas of um, all of the road closure maps and the way they uh, then integrate with the state government and approvals. But it also gives you a pick list of all the bits and pieces that you need to do those road closures. Mm-hmm. So it's a subscription-based thing. I'd say it's it's... Well, I've been watching it on LinkedIn now for a while and it's growing and growing there in Australia and in the US to quite substantial so to it? Um, all of the people. Construction people. Construction, right, right, local right, governments, right. anyone doing a, a, an event. So not me if I want to know which road has been closed. It's no, not that. No, 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 not at all. Okay. It's, it's about the interaction between uh, the private companies and the state oh, government, right. the road agencies. Mm-hmm. So they can approve or say, okay, well, the, you know, merge lane needs to be an extra 100 metres longer, so you're going to mm-hmm. need 30 more cones. They do the editing. They, uh, it goes backwards and forwards and you get the approval. Bang, and, the, and it's done and pick lists and all the things
1: well uh, I toss in I mean there's so many I see and it's difficult to hone in on one but I'd probably toss in Uh, Swan Systems, which I know you guys worked with, a company called Indecina, but the product's called Swan Systems. So go to swansystems.com.au. And I got them a $590,000 grant a few weeks ago through the AC grant process. Really strong system, real good, novel technology. Swan actually doesn't stand for Swan River, it stands for Scheduling Water and Nutrients. And their former banana plantation agronomists, uh, agri guys, and an ex banker as well, put in the money. They got together 18 months, two years ago. They put in one or two million dollars their own money new investor money came to me where they had the sort of prototype ready which i think you'd help build and large irrigators um, used it in a trial system over the last uh, irrigation season that's ending now um management of open parks uh, water utilities golf courses to manage their water and nutrients into dashboards in scientific manner so very very clever the people i rang up who were using it saying it's just spectacularly good they're probably going to have, by, the, by Christmas this year, they'll have 100 paying clients. Um, and I think they're going to go really well. I mean, they're addressing a $300 million market in Australia, a $9 billion market globally. And I suppose, you know, we ain't going to get any more water. So if we uh, look after no. our water, that's probably a good idea. And that's a great use of mapping technology. I mean, the, the spatial stuff in there is just sensational.
0: Well, thank you very much, guys, for coming on the podcast. Mm -hmm. If you want to see any more, please go to our website and check out other episodes of Location Matters. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.